Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of 280th Taking on the World. Today, um, us 280ths have brought on an expert uh, who will talk to us about libertarianism. So, um, Brandon, do you want to introduce yourself um, and introduce the topic today? Yeah, hi. So, um, I'm Brandon. Um, I'm a junior currently a rising senior, and I've been fairly politically involved, um, both at my school and also in my community. And uh, I would, I used to consider myself a libertarian, I'm not sure, but I'm still pretty familiar with uh, the ideology as a whole. So yeah, that's what I'm here to talk about. Cool. And, and do you want to maybe like, to start the conversation, give a little synopsis on what libertarianism is? Mm, okay, so libertarianism, like, when it's like, I guess for like, political normies is sort of uh, like you hear this like term being thrown around a lot like socially liberal fiscally conservative and like I think on the surface that's a pretty apt description of like the policies that libertarians push but from a from an ideological standpoint that's kind of it's kind of completely unrelated to what's going on um libertarianism generally for most individuals many people like libertarianism like it's, it's an ideology so people have different approaches to it as all ideologies but in general it's safe to assume that libertarians approach um, approach approach policies and like um, discussions on the responsibilities of uh, responsibilities of government from the perspective of self ownership. The idea that everyone owns their own body, they own their own, and thus they own their own labor and the property produced by that labor. And so most, so a lot of the arguments surrounding policy for libertarians are extensions of the argument of self ownership. So the idea of, let's say, libertarian opposition to the income tax is an extension of the, um, the belief in self-ownership, for example. Okay, yeah. And I, I just like for a little bit more background, I mean, from what I know, there aren't like, especially that many libertarians in like Congress or anything like that. But I know there are definitely some. Yeah. Um, but basically, like, yeah, what do you think are... I guess first, what do you think are like the, so you already mentioned what the key components of the ideology are and like, what do you think it makes it appealing to a lot of people? Right. So I think um, one big thing is that with the current, so I think the whole idea of self-ownership, like, like the, the notion of the idea by itself is very, very appealing, right? Like I think the idea that someone else owns us, like the alternative to self-ownership is that someone else owns you, right? And that idea is that that's basically like, that's, sort of the concept of slavery right and mm -hmm. and so um i think like just the just the notion of um self-ownership by itself just the notion of facing like an ideology around the around the concept of self-ownership is really appealing just by itself right and because when you like even when you look at the alternatives it's someone else owns you or no one owns you and like that makes zero sense right and so just that by itself is enough to get people at least interested in the idea um another part of it is sort of the current political sphere right like a lot of people, a lot of like centrists are like, or like, or at least independents think that, you know, like, oh, like, you know, Democrats are sort of too like Democratic and Republicans are too Republican, -y, you know, or the right's too right and left to left. And so um, <clears throat> the, this, the whole, the, the, the notion of being socially, socially liberal, fiscally conservative, I think is also really appealing. And then once they're, once they're into the, like, once they're, once they're like hooked onto the whole socially liberal, fiscally conservative thing, then like we start talking about like freedom of choice and all everything, and then they just get hooked and get absorbed into the libertarian pipeline. Yeah, yeah I think, um, I mean, for me, I, I think I would describe myself as like socially liberal, fiscally conservative. So I think I've always um, found libertarianism particularly appealing. Um, but for me, it's just difficult to get on board with it because I think that um, you mentioned the idea of self-ownership and how you know either you own you or someone else owns you. And I think that that kind of like dichotomy makes libertarianism get kind of extreme because like, I mean, the, the best known case I think is, is that clip of the libertarian debate where um, there was, they were debating driver's licenses and then the, <laughs> the moderator asked like, should we have driver's licenses? And they all were like, hell no, not in this country or whatever. And it's like, I, I feel like certain like ways that the government can own you as far as, keeping you accountable for your driving sounds kind of 
um, reasonable to be able to have driver's licenses. It doesn't really mean that it's akin to slavery, right? So how do you, what do you think about the, the kind of more extremeness of the party and how it fails to capture those interests? Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, what you just said, like at the end, like the extremeness of the party failing to capture the centrists, I think is one of the biggest turnoffs of libertarianism. Um, so for starters, like, I think, because I think that's just, I guess I'll sort of talk about like the failures of the libertarian party and like the libertarian movement as a whole. Like there are a lot of, there are a lot of aspects of the libertarian movement that if, that if heavily emphasized would be super popular, right? Like <clears throat> libertarians have like, supported LGBTQ rights since like the beginning of the libertarian movement, right? The first, I, I believe the first, um, the first president, the first presidential candidate who was uh, openly gay was a libertarian candidate. Um, the first VP candidate who was a woman was also a libertarian candidate, I believe, right? So from the social aspect of things, right? Like libertarians like were like pro like, LGBTQ rights all this time. They're also pro, um, like, again, like the whole socially liberal thing, right? Like, we're also pro, um, we're also anti-war on drugs, right? We're um, for reforming or, like, significantly, like, borderline abolishing the police, right? Um, like, we're for, like, borderline open borders, right? And so, like, there's, like, a lot of these things that would be, there's a lot of these, like, policies, like, the whole socially left, the socially liberal thing would, that would be, like, really, really popular with, like, leftists, right? And it's, like, we share a lot of that stuff in common with the left. And then as for like the conservatives and like, you know, being physically conservative and the right wing stuff, the right, the right wing aspect of libertarianism, basically like all of libertarian like economics, right? Like our like opposition to like increasing like taxes or <clears throat> like reducing and cutting down spending, especially like military spending, things like that, like and social spending too, in some cases, right? Like, so like emphasizing like those like those like values and emphasizing those policies would have like easily made like libertarianism like into honestly like even though I wouldn't say it's, it'd be as nearly as popular as the Democratic and Republican Party I, I'd say it it would be like a significant player in in the in the American like political field I think right like especially with like the 2016 election like that was sort of like the Libertarian Party's opportunity to like rise to the top right like people were look people were actively searching for a third option right and then you could you could have they, they could have provided that like third option like that third like supposedly socially liberal fiscally conservative option there and like captured like a huge base but instead like you talk you spend like your entire time talking about like like not knowing what Aleppo is or talking about like hookers <laughs> and like like you know it's like like yes like you know like giving people like the freedom like to make their own decisions like including things like sex work like that's 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 always been a part of libertarianism but like when you make like controversial like basically like fringe topics i guess right like the core of your movement like you're not going to gain any support and that's currently what the, that's basically what the libertarian party is doing right like we're focusing on things like driver's licenses we're focusing on, thing, on things like le legalizing cocaine like when we haven't even legalized when like half the states haven't legalized marijuana or right? like it's it, it doesn't make sense like the, the party's goals don't make sense and like the way that they're going about things like is just terrible so yeah yeah, honestly, I think I, one thing I thought was interesting, I mean, my, I get it's not my first experience, but one of my more, like, experiences that I remember with libertarianism was watching Parks and Rec and watching Ron Swanson, because, like, that was hardcore libertarianism right there, and honestly, what I, like, saw about him was basically, like, actually, I think one of the, uh, like, most prominent memories I had was basically when he was talking about how, like, um, if you want to, like, eat a bunch of junk food i think it was like at some point in time like leslie nope was debating ron swanson about whether like people should be allowed to basically you know like balloon up to 150 like or 250 pounds and then like die of a heart attack right or whether the government should step in and like stop that right one thing that i thought about was basically like yeah it makes it it seems like it would make more sense to you know have the government come in and stop you because then you know like if you look at like most indicators of health if the government did that the indicators of health would probably go up even though at the same time you would definitely be restricting people's rights, people's liberties and people's freedoms. And like, there's no real quantifiable way to, you know, measure those two and determine where the trade-offs should and shouldn't be. Right. So what are you guys thoughts on that? I, I, I think, think that's the idea. Really, oh, you can go ahead, Brandon. I think that's a really, that's a, that's kind of an, that's a, I guess a good way to describe a lot of the, the debate regarding libertarian ideas because libertarians often like 
again, they operate on this spectrum of like self-ownership and they operate on this spectrum of freedom, right? And so when libertarians are looking at freedom and then in general, most other people are looking at, okay, like what are the actual the ramifications of this? And like the, I don't know if utilitarian is the right word, but like like the actual effects of these policies. And so I think that's, a, that's it's a good example. Um, Parks and I find Parks and Rec kind of funny as like, an like as that you bring it up as an example, because like, um, libertarians also like a lot, a lot of libertarian pages I've looked at like a lot of like like they also like have there's just this huge like libertarian fan base for Ron Swanson even though Ron Swanson's like literally intended to be like um like a satire like a satirical take on libertarianism and it's like I find that funny like even though like it's supposed to be like satire about libertarians like libertarians like like still love the character so like Find it pretty funny, yeah, but, but yeah. there were like some instances. Like I remember, uh, mm -hmm. there was one about like the government bailout of some movie store or something, and then it became a porn shop. Like there are definitely some examples where like Ron Swanson's right, and that like mm -hmm. the government shouldn't always be involved in everything. And honestly, like I agree with Adrian. Like there's always a balance to almost everything. Nobody can be hardcore anything without you know. Like there, if you are on the fringe of, I think m almost any issue. I think you're probably like incorrect because yeah but then like i think there's definitely some middle ground for sure for sure yeah, yeah and what i was going to get at earlier um is uh you, you mentioned like how the government should uh shouldn't have to step in to tell people not to get fat um and i i think what that boils down to is the idea of externalities when you when you when you're looking at personal liberties so uh, for example, if, if I want to become 500 pounds, that's my own prerogative. Why does the government have to tell me how many pounds I should weigh? You know, me, me becoming overweight has, doesn't hurt anyone but me. And, and I think you can apply that to a lot of different um, sort of laws, things like um, drug legalization. Like if, if I'm um, high in, in my own bedroom for three hours, you know, who is that hurting but myself? Um, if I... Um, like I am a, a pedestrian jaywalking, who am I putting in danger but myself? I think that there's so many different ways in which I think any sort of like personal right that only affects me, I don't see why the government has a, has a bigger say in it than I do. And I think that that's what I like about libertarianism is that any sort of like crime without any victim but the perpetrator shouldn't be governed at all is what I think. I'm wondering what you think about that, Brandon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like um, generally like you'll see libertarians refer to those crimes as like victimless crimes. Mm -hmm. right um and so those are um often the topic of libertarian discussion so um there's this really good book um i believe it's by walter block pretty famous libertarian of our time um arguably one of the most influential libertarians like of the current day and age um he wrote a book called uh, i believe it's called defending the undefendables i haven't read it in a while but i did skim it once um it's, it's this basic idea that like libertarians have always been for um like as long as like a like a crime like regardless of how supposedly like morally unjust it is or um, like morally wrong it is um and as long as like there aren't any victims like libertarians have always for have always been for legalization right so like again it's like these these issues like drug legalization um uh, sex work uh and immigration in some parts in, in in some in some context of the discussion so yeah like i think i think even like with those issues i think even like non-libertarians can like see that can often see that like there's really no point in like regulating them and i think again like adrian what what you said um that's where a lot of the appeal for libertarianism comes in because like it's it's sort of this like sort of like like why should the government like tell me what i can what what, what i can do you know like mm -hmm. and like especially when it's like not hurting anyone else it's like the rules seem kind of kind of pointless and like that's where a lot of the appeal for libertarianism comes into yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and what, one thing I, I guess will kind of segue into um, just kind of the current political environment um, with mm -hmm. like police abuse happening and, and all that is um, my, my, my sort of um, ideology on, on that is that um, prejudice is, exists in our society and it's pretty pervasive. Um, and when you allow that prejudice to enter into positions of power is when that prejudice becomes really harmful. So what I think we should do is is then just remove a lot of those positions of power because there's only sort of one institution that can coerce someone at gunpoint to, to have them do something. And, and, and at the point that the person with that coercion power is prejudiced, which is almost like at this point inherent in any institution, 
um, that's when it becomes dangerous. So uh, I, I think that within the current context of like police brutality and like systemic racism within the police force is like the, the, the biggest issue is just getting rid of the institution that causes institutional racism is what I think. I'm wondering what you guys think about that. Yeah, but wait, I, I I might be like mistaken here, but I was under the impression that most libertarians like supported, you know, having police, firefighters, mm -hmm. um, like roads, etc. Right? Like, you know, public services that pretty much everybody agrees to pay for, right? It's just those other ones that are kind of on the fringe that libertarians don't really like. Um, am I mistaken there? I don't actually. Um, so, I mean, libertarianism is a really, really big umbrella, right? So you have, in general, libertarians tend to be okay with public services like police and firefighters. Um, they, we have our own issues with police. Uh, I'll go into them later. But um, mm -hmm. like you, ha you also have like you know people like um, anarcho-capitalists under the under the umbrella of libertarianism, which who believe that there should be no government at all. And um, yeah, yeah, that's that, and that which which means that there'd be no public services either. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. It is it's, it's questionable. Yeah, and so um. There's that, right? But also, but yeah, in general, most libertarians are libertarians are okay with the, the existence of law enforcement, um, public services like uh, firefighters, and yes, even the roads. You know, like that's that's a common argument. Um, but yeah, most libertarians are okay with the roads too. Um, so uh, when it comes to so when it comes to police, but more specifically, um, yes, libertarians libertarians are in generally generally in favor of like law enforcement as like a concept, and um, you know, because that's how we protect private rights. In private property right like if someone infringes on my private like property if someone infringes on my rights like law enforcement would be the way to like um would be the way to uh, to gain uh to gain justice i guess for the situation right and so so as so libertarians aren't opposed to like law enforcement as a libertarians in general aren't opposed to law enforcement as a concept but um sort of the way that's been it's been done in the, in the united states and a lot of parts of the world um is sort of what is a huge turnoff because like adrian said um the police are essentially like a giant like i'm not sure how to describe it <clears throat> like the way that police should be working is sort of as like more or less as citizens with a few additional responsibilities i think that's how like libertarians view like police and that's how they view like law enforcement but that just currently isn't the case right like so aside from like police enforcing all these like really really ridiculous laws like like all these um like drug criminalization or like um, criminalizing like sex work and all those things right uh police are also responsible for like um police also have like these like ridiculous like legal immunities right so we t i mean like um with with the current like conversation like a lot of this stuff has come to light right qualified immunity libertarians have been opposed to that for like decades but you know not i'm not solving you know, that or, like it, can you explain what qualified immunity actually is because i feel like like we, we hear it a lot but i don't think i've ever heard it explained before yeah so qualified immunity essentially is essentially the, the idea that like um, a cop can't be like prosecuted in a civil in a civil case uh, in a civil court for um, for a crime that wasn't sort of previously established as like a as an as a crime sort of so like, like basically like as long as the situation as long as the situation is unique and the officer wasn't clearly like in the wrong then the the officer has immunity essentially and so um, that has led to like the, the the phrasing has led to some really really questionable <laughs> court cases in the in the past. So yeah, that's one example. Um, another like some other things uh that people have always libertarians have always been opposed to that police have the right to do. Um, no knock warrants, right? That's that's become a huge thing, especially with Breonna Taylor, right? She was killed because of a no knock warrant, and um, libertarians have always been opposed to no knock warrants, right? Like if you're going to search something, like if you're going to search a house or something, like you should want to you should be like like the, the the owner of the house right like has every right to like defend the property right and so like if you don't knock on someone's door and you break in like like it's safe to assume that like you're you're an intruder right and you are an intruder right and so um mm -hmm. there's that right um what else civil asset forfeiture you know um uh police uh taking and seizing uh property from people they arrest right and then oftentimes like making a profit making a profit off of that property right which i think is really problematic too um, so yeah, these, these, there's like all these things that um, that police have the ability to do that um, that citizens don't have the ability to do, and I think that's problematic because police should simply police with police should be like extension should just be citizens with extra responsibilities, and because of those extra responsibilities, a few extra rights, but that's about it, right? And currently, like those extra rights don't actually help them protect the community, 
and serve the community. So, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think like, yeah, so uh, I was actually wondering, because I know President Trump passed an executive order, I believe, like kind of recently about police reforms. I haven't actually looked at the specifics of it. Like, I, I just know that it was passed. I'm not sure if y'all have seen it or if you have like any ideas, but I thought it was like some, you know, basic like um, making, I, I don't know if it was increasing funding for the police, but I think it was like trying to end qualified immunity, trying yeah, yeah, increasing training, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so that would be, for example, like more of a libertarian idea, I guess. Is that right? Well, it seemed kind of weird. No. It, there wasn't like a, a, as much like reform to really make it like um, stripping police of their power. It's more of like trying to reform the the like existing system. And like, and like I said earlier, like at the point that there's always going to be prejudiced people within an agency, like train you can train them as much as you want but they're still gonna have that prejudice and they're still gonna have that power to coerce so like i don't feel like that was really enough you know yeah wait so actually i, I kind of want to push back against adrian at that point because i also feel like you know prejudice has definitely gone down since you know whatever like jim crow uh, all of like in, has in it history. has it has yeah but what, what i would say is that like i i i've been okay since, since this has started i've like tried to read a lot about this stuff and, and i i think that the general consensus is that like um, a lot of like racially biased attitudes have just moved to being fr from being overt to covert. So people have just kind of like internalized them and said, and I, I, I feel like I have very little faith in, in people to shake those biases. So I just think we should take them out of positions of power as a whole. But I feel like, um, you know, power regardless, right? Like if you have a prejudiced person who's running like this giant monopoly or this giant corporation, right? Like they're still able to exert power over most of their employees and over a lot of like the market. Right. So like, does like just because they're out of government right now if you put them in a different position of power isn't that still bad and isn't like i think it's just something we should try and fight i think sort of the, the issue here isn't sort of the i think the um the potential for prejudice and the, the possibilities that that um that law enforcement gives to prejudiced individuals is is sort of like an, a symptom of like the overarching issue which is the potential for corruption right and so i think like because because there's like very like because these the police have all these like legal rights and all these like all, they, they, because they're, they're legally allowed to do all this stuff they have the potential to be corrupt and one of the most common forms in which corruption shows itself is through prejudice and so um i think the issue it's the issue isn't necessarily like i mean the issue is prejudice but like when we're talking about law enforcement itself like the issue that's inherent to law enforcement isn't necessarily prejudice all the time even though prejudice is really really, really heavily ingrained in our law enforcement uh, system the issue is that um there are like there like, the system allows for like massive amounts of corruption which tends to show itself via prejudice yeah, and, and so like by I reforming the yes yeah, so, like by reforming the corruption or abolishing their the mm -hmm. corruption um and the systems that allow for the corruption we also um limit and reduce the amount of prejudice yeah and one thing i i wanted to get at is is what sid was saying how you know, prejudice w will exist. And I think that we should all work to be anti-racist and, and try and like work to kind of eradicate that prejudice to the, to the extent that we can, that's a given. But I think that's a very long-term, you know, process. And like, that's a whole idea of shifting the entire attitudes of a country that was kind of, you know, built on, on these ideas. So I think that that's a really long-term process that we should all work towards. But I think like really good, like fixes we can do now, like in a, in a legislative manner is to reduce the power of government because the government, again, always has that permissibility for corruption. And I think what, what Sid said to counter that is the idea that like, when you like remove um, centers of power from the government, it goes to like the economy and it goes to the free market. And um, I, I, I've been reading um, a good amount of like Milton Friedman recently. And he, he makes this really good argument as to why the free market protects minorities a lot better than the government ever will. And it's this idea that, that the free market disperses power a lot better than the government does. So if one company is like not selling to like black consumers, they can easily go to another company and buy from them. If one company is discriminatory, you can just leave and find another company. It's that, that right to exit that doesn't exist within government. So I, I think that as long as you maintain the free market to not become like consolidated monopolies or oligarchies, like I think that it, it's a lot more effective in um, like creating anti-racism than, than government can ever be. So would that be a role of government preventing monopolies from forming? 
Yeah, so one thing that Milton Friedman says is that the government's job is to enforce the rules of the game, but it should not play the game. So the idea that like um, monopolies shouldn't exist or that externalities or that negative externalities shouldn't exist are rules of the game that need to be enforced. But like, and, that, and that's just to ensure we don't get like things like, you know, crony capitalism or, or anything where there is actually an ability to coerce. So just that, that kind of dispersal of power um, to, you know, empower marginalized communities, I think is a really good um, attribute of the free market. Right. And so just another thing to really, just, just remember is that the free market always like the free, the only thing that the free market cares about in general, like as a general statement is profit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like in the modern, in the current day and age, it's profitable to be progressive. Like it, it, that's, mm -hmm. that's just the case where like, if you don't sell to like, if you don't sell cakes to like, to, I don't know, um, if you don't sell cakes uh, for gay weddings, right. Like one, you're missing out on a lot of profit and two people are going to protest you until you like shut down. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, so like if it's a private business, like, like being discriminatory, like there are like easy actions that can be taken against them. Right. Government, not so much. Right. Like, so I, like, again, I think, um, I think the idea that like, <clears throat> I mean, in the past I can, I can see why like government action was necessary. Right. With things like the civil rights act and, um, other like forms of like government requirements uh, and restrictions against private entities being racist. Um, and I think some of these, some of those things are still, still necessary today. But I think um, as a whole, like companies and like private entities with like, with the incentive to maximize profit have like less of an incentive to be racist, at least to their consumers. Yeah. So actually I wanted to get back to something like Adrian said. So in terms of like what uh, you say, like government, the role of government is to enforce the rules of the game, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So who determines the rules of the game? Well, I, I mean, I, that, that's tough. I mean, what I would say that my rules of the game would be is just um, uh, not allowing for monopolies or negative externalities. Those would be like my preferred rules of the game. But you're right. It, the, the idea that like um, government can abuse what they, what they deem rules of the game to create like completely onerous and unnecessary regulations that can be, again, discriminatory. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I'll actually open this question up to, to you guys is that is having a government that can create rules of the game inherently like um, conducive to corruption or like it, can government ever exist without corruption when we limit it enough or will it always just grow on its own? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think government, I think we can see really clearly like there's like a, our government's like literally like the like the, the trial run of this idea, right? Like the constitution existed to limit and define the rules of the game. That's what the constitution was. Mm -hmm. And we can see like, I mean, yeah, the constitution was flawed for sure. And, and because like, because society is constantly evolving, like there, there needs to be like some way to like alter government in order to fit those new needs. Right. So if like, for example, to abolish slavery. Right. But at the same time, like the size of the government and the scope of the government, the capabilities of the government have massively, like massively, massively outgrown the scope of what was originally intended for in the constitution. Right. And so I think throughout history, there have been almost zero, like, there have been very, very few cases where government was actually reduced in scope. And even after those reductions, after that reduction in, in, in the size of government, generally you would see like a re a regrowing of that mm -hmm. afterwards. So like the few exceptions I can think of are obviously one revolutions, right? But a lot of the times with revolutions, what happens is just you replace one, one, one authoritarian with another, right? Yeah, or two. Um, like in general, like revolutions, I think more than fifty percent of the time they replace it with the worst, more corrupt government. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that's what happens. And and or two, um, is is countries who are suffering from authoritarianism and have decided to move away from it. Like they've learned their lesson and they're shifting away from it, right? Mm -hmm. And so that'd be um examples could be um economic reform in in communist China, right? Shifting away from uh from from uh from central planning mm -hmm. by Deng Xiaoping. And um, I think, what would be another good example? I can't think of a good example off the top of my head, but like there are examples that exist of the size and scope of government shrinking, but like mm -hmm. those, are, those are far and few between. Yeah. yeah, China's like a pretty, I think like China's a very interesting place, but I mean, I think also like back in, even just in the US, like 
I think one of the most recent examples we can see, and this was, I think it was pretty controversial. I don't know, I, I read like, I've tried to read a lot on this, but it was the Supreme Court case that extended the Civil Rights Act to also include uh, your gender identity and your sexual preference, so your sexual orientation. So that means that like, you cannot discriminate based on, I think it was already race, color, sex, religion, and now it's also based on gender identity and sexual orientation. So I was wondering, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Is that from yeah. a libertarian point of view, is that good or bad? Or... I, I don't know why I've seen libertarians complain about that. Because, I, I mean, sure, that's a like a overreach of federal government, but it seems like a very justified one. And, and libertarians are always for LGBTQ rights. And I, I don't see how else it could manifest itself than with government protections. But like, how, do, how, do you, how are you an advocate for LGBT rights without government intervention you know how does that happen so this is so i think this is one of the flaws of libertarianism that's one that was mm -hmm. one of my turnoffs at least for libertarianism uh the, the thing that you just pointed out um so let me just i guess to understand this you have to understand like the, re the reason as to why libertarians supported lgbtq rights in the first place and the reason they did so was because lgbt being lgbtq plus wasn't like if that's not a violation of anyone's anyone's like private right private rights right like mm -hmm. their property rights or their self-ownership and in There's fact restricting yeah. restricting lgbtq rights is a violation of self-ownership right you're telling someone what they can't do with what they can and can't do with their body you're telling what someone what they can and can't do with the contract things like that right and so so that's why they were in support of lgbtq rights but in but like once lgbtq rights start to sort of violate in a way I'm, i use violate with quotes um uh because I'm not sure that's that's the best word for it. I think that I know a lot of libertarians would say that though. Um, is once LGBTQ rights start to violate um, self ownership rights. So for example, if you re legally require someone to um, to bake a cake, I guess if you will, um, against their consent, that would be a violation of self self ownership, according to a libertarian, right? And because that would be a the government forcing its its like its policies and forcing it like forcing itself onto like someone else's like on, on a baker's like self-ownership then like that would be a problem for libertarians and that's why they would side with baker rather than lgbtq rather than with the lgbtq community so i think just the fact that like it's important to note that like libertarians are painfully consistent <laughs> when it comes to self-ownership so like it's not like i i'd say that like, i say that they're pro-lgbtq because like in general they have been but it's important to note that like the roots of being pro-LGBTQ come from, again, come from self-ownership and not from just some, like, random, like, love for the LGBTQ community, which doesn't, which, which is there, but it's just, like, it's not, like, that's not the root cause as to why we, they support it. Yeah, I think that was definitely something, like, from what I do know about libertarianism, mm -hmm. it is, like, and, yeah, I guess extending your example to, for example, the labor market is the idea that you should, like, it's the idea that, uh, a religious institution or even just any institution at all should be able to quote unquote discriminate on the base of any characteristic and that you do not have a right to like a job at my company and that was like that's i think the libertarian case against the supreme court as uh, against the supreme court ruling and i guess like against part of the civil rights act in general which is that like like they agree that the government should never be allowed to pass discriminatory laws but they also try to push the idea that the government should also not be able to prevent businesses, institutions, or people from discriminating. And that's like, mm -hmm. I guess that's honestly the biggest turnoff of libertarianism for me. It's the reason why like, I cannot classify myself as a libertarian because like, honestly, I think there are always going to be externalities to almost every single right and we cap them in some place. So, yeah. Well, I, well, um, so what I would say, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, so one of the examples, I think the perfect, like sort of, um, the right word for this like the personification of what you just said like the 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 support of of um of civil rights when it doesn't violate self-ownership but then the rejection of them when it does is sort of um sort of personified by um barry goldwater i think right like he was he was a very prominent gop senator um he i think he had he had been more or less like very pro civil rights in like when in the cases of the government when, when, when the government was sort of being responsible for the violation of the civil rights. But when it came to like actually restricting private businesses and private entities from, from being discriminatory, then that's where he, that's where he drew the line. 
right? And I think that's where a lot of libertarians today still draw the line. And so, yeah, I think that is a pretty significant flaw with libertarianism. And yeah, what, what I was going to ask is kind of a more like philosophical question because um, what, what, Brandon, what you said was kind of, um, to me, kind of interesting where you were like, um, the, the root cause of libertarian support for the um, LGBT community was not out of love for them, but out of, you know, commitment to their principles and commitment to self-ownership. Um, and I, I guess one of the other biggest criticisms of this ideology is that libertarians are like selfish or they're, they're not empathetic and that they, they only care about the individual and that they have no sort of um, moral responsibility to anyone else. And I think that um, like, do we think as a whole that libertarians lack empathy? Um, I think that's, that's kind of, I think it's flawed in a few ways. So for, for starters, I think the vast majority of libertarians like as a whole aren't like okay so like for example like if libertarians did truly lack empathy like i don't think they would care about other people's like rights to self-ownership right like if you're if you were a libertarian in the in the 1970s right like when being pro being pro lgbtq was incredibly incredibly unpopular you would not be like you would not publicly voice your support for the lgbtq community if you didn't if you didn't have an empathy empathy right and so like i think that just like that idea as a whole is kind of is kind of ridiculous but also like i think um I think like the libertarians like aren't opposed to like 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 formalized ways to support like people in need they're just opposed to like violating self-ownership in order to do so so like a lot of times those like you'll see like libertarians like constantly refer to like charities or like small businesses doing things that the government couldn't right so like for example like i know something that was like hugely circulating around in like um, a lot of libertarian communities was like a domino's truck like filling out like filling up a pothole like in their community like because like it, it was like it, it was it was demonstrating like a private business like taking on an issue that plagues the community by themselves without any government coercion right because and like they sort of the idea the, the understanding behind it is sort of like um people will naturally sort of and this is where again it becomes really like, like the ideology is gets a little bit extreme but it's sort of the idea that you know if if left to their own like um devices um people will sort of people will like voluntarily help out each other because people do have empathy and that's why private charity exists and that's why you'll see and a lot of the times too it's, it's selfish altruism in the sense that like um doing this for my community will also help my, myself out right for example with dominoes like filling, filling up the potholes um it helps the community but also it keeps their pizzas from getting like messed up when they drive over them right so it's things like that so is, is, yeah. is selfish altruism really that powerful? Because what, what, one of the main like um, vices I have with like, um, like communism, for example, is that I, I don't believe that people are altruistic enough to, to give up their um, like selfishness for the greater good and, and to actually work hard to create output when there's no incentive. But doesn't that conflict with the idea of like private, private charity in a libertarian society? But what, why, why is there a need to um, create charity when there's no profit incentive uh, and, and doesn't that conflict with like um, why people criticize communism okay that's that's a really good example so i think i think communism inherently like relies a hundred percent on like the entirety of like society to function purely with altruism right mm -hmm. like that's what that's like that's the crux of communism right like like you, you have the society where everyone like just embraces like cooperation and like government is like no longer need like you no longer need government basically right like because everyone is like working together and cooperating and that isn't the case with libertarianism right like the case with libertarianism is that like because of like things like the free market and because of like because of capitalism right like you'll have the, the main part of like libertarianism is like and the economy sort of is is still like centered around like capitalism and the free market like driving down prices making things more effective like creating new products more effectively and uh, as a result, um, massively improving the lives of a lot of people, right? Like, I think that's, and then, like, the, the private charity is sort of, like, the cherry on top, sort of, right? So, like, the way that libertarians advocate for, like, um, improvements in the quality of life of people isn't sort of, isn't, be, isn't via, like, um, social, social, um, social spending, but rather through, like, deregulation and economic growth, right? It's, so, like, you see that with, like, uh, like as, I think, as, as a really good example, like, basically, any formerly authoritarian slash communist slash fascist country 
that shifted towards capitalism, right? So like China with Deng Xiaoping, um, the four Asian tigers, right? Prior to China, China's shift, um, uh, some some of the European countries too, um, Latin American countries, and just like just in general, like just in general, like whenever you see like a whenever you see like a formerly communist or like hella authoritarian country shift towards more um more neoliberal or um, capitalist policies, you'll see like a massive like in improvement in the standards of living. Uh, you'll also generally see a rise in inequality too, but that's sort of a side effect of, of improving uh, people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, so do, do you wanna go or? Oh yeah, no, I, I didn't really have like that much, but also one thing I did notice is that like, um, the difference that I saw was basically like, like a libertarian ideology does allow for quote unquote communism to form. Like it allows for like worker collectives or it allows for like businesses to voluntarily give a lot more power to the worker instead of like uh, to themselves, right? To the leaders. So that like assuming a communist ideology that everybody's basically altruistic and they're, a lot, and they're going to do whatever they need to do to improve the community, libertarianism like by definition allows them to accomplish that goal. I, I, because I think like libertarianism says that like capitalism is the best driver of the market, but liber a libertarian ideology would also allow for like some sort of communism to form as long as it wasn't communism under a government. Right. And as long as it wasn't forced altruism. So the idea of like some amount of altruism being good and solving everything, like that's, the, I guess, the big thing. So, yeah, um, we see this with um, co-ops. I think libertarians have always been for co-ops. Right. Like there's there's literally no reason as to why co-ops are bad in our view. And I think <clears throat> and I think like a really good like this sort of distinction is that like um, communists and I wouldn't say just communists, but like anyone like anyone on that spectrum. Uh, on the, the communism spectrum, communist socialist, whatever, um, on that spectrum would like point to co-ops and the success of certain co-ops and say, okay, like, like because these co-ops are successful, like you know these unions, these credit unions, whatever, are successful. Therefore, we should have like the rest of the rest of our society should like mirror and reflect like those those specific um, the way those 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 co-ops are run. I think libertarians are more so of the idea that like if it works for you, great. If it doesn't work, like the free market kills kills you off, and that's for a good reason. Yeah, because they're, they're self-selecting those communes. Like the ones who Correct. decide to engage in them are ones who are already like willing to engage in that altruism. So I guess the answer to my original question would be that there are certain, like libertarianism allows for the altruistic to be altruistic and allows for the selfish to be selfish. And, 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 that's, and that's what creates like the optimal society is allowing people to like, um, like have their own values shine through and, and, and create the most societal betterment. Is, is, is that a correct diagnosis? I think, yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that's a, that's a pretty fair analysis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then one more question I, I wanted to ask about what you were talking about earlier um, is you mentioned that, that when we like liberalize the economy and when we allow for more like free market reforms, um, a side effect is income inequality. Um, and, and, and one thing that, that one of my more controversial opinions that income inequality is like, not an issue. I, I don't think that the idea that someone has more wealth than you is an issue as long as wealth like as a whole is growing, then that's what's important. Um, and um, so I, I'm wondering, do, do you think at all wealth inequality is, is an issue? I think so. I think it depends. I think in general, like, especially in the cases of these like formerly like, formerly like countries with like, like formerly communist or formerly authoritarian mm -hmm. countries with like, like struck with like abject poverty, like across the board. And like, like, you're going to have income inequality. Like that's, a, that's an inevitable side effect of like, um, of, of industrialization and all that stuff. And I think it's fine, but like you're lifting, like if you're lifting millions of people out of abject poverty and a few individuals like become like multimillionaires, be, become multimillionaires, become um, billionaires, become filthy rich. Like mm -hmm. if that's the side effect of lifting like millions of people out of abject poverty, like that's fine by me, right? Like it's like mm -hmm. the, on, on net, like everyone's gaining. Right? And that's, I think that's a really big part of like the, the support for like capitalism and the free market as a whole is that like when, even when someone is supposedly getting screwed over, like on net, everyone as a whole is gaining, right? Like if a business mm -hmm. goes out of business, it's because it's no longer serving the economy. It's no, longer, it's no longer serving its consumers and the resources that were going towards that business are now going to go towards a more productive place. Right. And so like, that's, that's sort of like the whole, like the whole concept behind like the free market and the, like, and I think it's like, 
income inequality when it's when it's the results of when it's the result of like improves in the wealth improvements in uh, in general welfare for like across the board i think isn't a problem i think it does become a problem when income inequality is the direct result of of government intervention in the economy so like big bailouts uh you know um uh, reg regulations that stifle comp competition for um large businesses things like that or like or even like or even like um things like um uh occupational licensing you know where you like require people to like you basically like artificially restrict the number of workers for for certain industries right things like that i think that like artificially create more and more, more income inequality um caused by the government i think are where libertarians have a problem with income inequality and it's, it's also where i have a problem with income inequality too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like one definitely, I mean, one thing I did notice is that like, especially when the government offers bailouts or just pretty much anything to like businesses, it creates like the incentive to lobby the government for larger bailouts. And that becomes a literal means of like gaining a profit. And that like death, like that's just redistributing wealth from like just saying like, oh, we're going to tax it from you and then we're going to give it to these big corporations. That does not increase economic growth or create economic growth, which leads to the exact same thing Brandon said, which is that like at that point, you're not actually helping anybody. And in fact, what you are doing, I, I think like is increasing the prices of most goods because when they when people have a lot more money and they're like a lot more willing to pay for higher priced goods then that also means that the people who don't get more money because of this because of this like, you know corrupt system where corporations are able to lobby the government to give them more money through bailouts that leads to people being left behind they're not climbing out of poverty instead they're going deeper into the well that's like definitely a huge problem and if that's the way income inequality is being created then I'm not a fan. Um, there's a term for like a lot of the bailouts or like a lot of the um, a lot of the <clears throat> the systems that like they, a lot of the institutions that the government has in place for like for supporting like these big like large rich businesses that lobby them and um, and screwing over like small businesses and the impoverished who are like looking for opportunities to to pull themselves out of poverty and that's uh, I believe privatizing the losses and oh, sorry privatizing the gains and socializing the losses. Right, so like you're you're concentrating the the gains of the wealth in in a, in, in a very select. Oh God, I sound like a communist. Um, like you're you're privatizing like the gains of the wealth in in a very very select select like few hands, right? And you're and you're socializing the losses and you're distributing you're distributing the losses and like the risk, I guess, the risk of of taking of, of these actions among like the American people and among among the citizens. And I think that's that's really really problematic. I think even libertarians, most libertarians, like would have would take huge issue to that too. And I think that's that's. Again, that's like somewhere with where, where we have common ground with even like the most like the most leftists of leftists, right? Like where we like we have like I think we think it's a huge problem where like corporations can get away with with stuff like this, whereas like no no ordinary small business would be able to. So the the, the issue of, of income inequality then only becomes an issue when government is involved, and I I think is is what I would conclude because, um, for for example, I think when when income inequality creates a concentration of wealth that leads to that that leaks into like um, lobbying and then um, drowns out the voice of like lower income voters and that's a big issue. I think that when income when when the government creates income inequality um, by you know regulation and all that, that's an issue. So I think that in, in in the absence of a powerful government, again with the absence of any institution that's able to coerce, um, inequality in a society isn't really a threat. So again, I, I think that a lot of these like issues of like inequities in society are only further perpetrated by coercive bodies and governments. And, and, and I think that like the ability, like I think limiting those bodies as, as, as much as possible um, would help to like empower things like social mobility, because I think that like the, the biggest stifler of social mobility currently is like government regulation and because of government intervention. Um, and I think that that is like the core of the issue of the inequality argument. I think in that and the, the really important thing to know about this about this topic is that all of this everything that we just discussed like isn't mutually exclusive with social spending and the strong welfare program like and it like it sort of pains me to say it because i'm still I, I mean i understand the need for welfare and stuff but like <clears throat> this is like it's like i think one of the problems with libertarianism is sort of created a, like a false i think also like this this isn't just this is this isn't just like on libertarians i think it's just the political spectrum as a whole like it's created a false dichotomy between like social spending and um, deregulating the market as two different means of um, improving social mobility. When in fact, it's 
more than possible to do both at the same time. And I think, like for example, yeah. like it's possible to spend more on like on more on more. It's it's possible to spend, to spend more for social programs and like different things like um, different uh, support networks, as well as simultaneously like limiting and like reducing the amount of restrictions that are being placed on people um, who need uh, economic opportunities. Yeah, like the Nordic countries, right? They have massive social programs, low um, what low corporate tax rates, like, and they built up a lot of their wealth based off of like a hugely capitalist system, and that allowed them to redistribute it later in order to you know improve societal well-being. And I think yeah, like exactly like that's I think where I, I'd say like a good chunk of people lie, and it's not something that like uh, like where they are, and it's not something that politicians in the current state are ever like trying to appeal to. It's the idea that there are always balances between opposing forces and that nothing's really a dichotomy. I do think, like, yeah, so I, I sort of like agree with the idea. Um, the, the concept behind the, the Nordic countries, um, um, I, they're like, okay, so like, I don't like it when people use the, the Scandinavian countries as sort of like a model for what it should look. I mean, if they're a good example of how a, a society might work, but at the same time, right, like you have to remember that these, a lot of these countries have only become successful after like shifting away from like large social spend, like large social welfare programs and like shifting towards capitalism. And even today, they're still currently like shifting away from like social spending, right? Like I believe Sweden right now is like, is like cutting down on social spending like massively because they, they simply can't like financially support it anymore. Right. And so like the, the Nordic countries, yeah, well, I need to double check on that. I need to fact check myself right now because uh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big claim. But, um, uh, to, but I remember reading that somewhere. Um, and like they're, a lot of their like, uh, a lot of their social programs, like I think their social security too, um, is also, uh, is also, yeah, like, like most Nordic countries are like scaling back their welfare states and in, in favor of, of more, um, of more liberalism, of more, of more so liberalizing the economy. And I think <clears throat> that sort of shows that like, even in like the best case examples of, of the Scandinavian model, which is literally the Scandinavian countries themselves, um, there, we, we still see like a shift away from the welfare state towards uh, the free market economy. That isn't to say that like the welfare state uh, is useless and it's, that we shouldn't have one. It's just to say that like the welfare state shouldn't be our go-to, um, solution for solving societal issues yeah, yeah I've, I've heard that a lot okay. yeah i was gonna say that i'm i'm curious to, to know what your like prescribed amount of um welfare system is because i think that like um some of the criticisms of welfare is kind of like overarching and like systemic for example the idea that like welfare like creates cyclical poverty like that that it incentivizes um laziness that that it um, you know, just locks people in, into their, um, like, averse situation. So, um, like, what, what I, like, I'm not sure if I support it completely, but I think that one thing that I, that I admire is, like, the idea of, like, a UBI um, in, in, instead of means-tested welfare, because that doesn't really incentivize poverty. But um, because the, no matter what, like, I think, I still think that social spending of any kind is still government intervention in the economy. It still it either crowds out private um, activity, or it actually intervenes in someone's economic rights. So I, I'm wondering, like, I, I think that I'm gonna push back on the idea that it's a false dichotomy. I think that the two are actually quite interrelated. Okay, I, I do agree that okay, so there is a relation between the two, but at the same time, like most of the most of the largest, like most egregious examples of of, of government intervention in the economy don't aren't like like. The ability, like rejecting the most egregious examples of government intervention in the economy, isn't mutually exclusive with promoting a, promoting a welfare state. But yes, I do agree that like at like at, at there there are like some points in which the two like cannot coexist. Um, I do think so. When it comes to like the size and like the amount of welfare state that we should have, I do think that like at a certain point, like private charity just like does not guarantee like like there with private like with private charities like it is ultimately like still a private charity right and so there's really ultimately like no guarantee that um that uh that they actually end up working for everyone right so like the state ultimately is a good like good a good guarantee that like it i mean not not, not in its current system not not not, not its mm -hmm. current system but like the state ultimately is like a, a valid i think method of ensuring that like everyone has access to those resources um but 
<clears throat> I think with, so like there were a few concerns that I have to like process right now. Um, the first one was, I believe you talked about um, government and state welfare crowding out private, like private nonprofits and things like that. No, no, not, not like crowding out like nonprofits, but the idea that like social spending crowds out like private enterprise, like Medicare, for example, like that, that would crowd out mm. the entire private insurance industry. Like I, I just think that social spending, like, like, like inherently hampers the free market. I think it depends on the type of social spending. Like it, 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 it ultimately again depends on the type of social spending. Um, a lot of social spending does actually result in like more problems. We can see that with like um, education system, right? Like the federal, federal loans basically kind of like screwed over the entire education. Pro well, what are one of the reasons? Okay, I, you know, I, I take that back. I'm not like educated enough on the topic, but from my understanding of the topic so far, like federal loans played a large part in, in, in the skyrocketing costs of college. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I know like every dollar that uh, the federal government spent on uh, federal loans led to, I think, 40 cents increase in overall tuition. So like, yeah, it's yeah. like, there yeah. You go, yeah, it's not, it's not the best. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so like th th those are like good examples of where like government intervention in the economy and gov the government like support would have like a lot of negative effects. I do still think that like at the local level, like having like those support systems in place, um, you know, like whether it's like food stamps or um, just like small scale things um, ultimately are, are still beneficial overall. Um, I, I, I like obviously like with, when it becomes like, when it becomes much more large scale, when it becomes like, and also I think this is one of the reasons why um, libertarians and some like conservatives are more for like local control of the economy because I think like a local government has more much more like, yeah, they're, for, yeah, for starters, they're much more accountable, but also they have a much better understanding of their own situation than like a state or like a, a federal like level government would. And so I think like, that's why like you see like food stamps in general aren't run by like the federal government. Oh, in, in general, like in general, like the, mm -hmm. the, the systems that you see helping like the impoverished the most is not like, aren't like systems set in place by the federal government, but rather like local city measures or sometimes county and state measures. And so, yeah, that's, that's that. Yeah, I guess that's where I like, that's where I fall. I'm like, I think when I describe myself in the first episode, I describe myself as like more of a federalist in that like, yeah, I agree. Like, basically, I think even if I was to agree with Adrian's point, which I mean, I kind of agree with, which is that like, it's any not sort necessarily of my point. I'm just like putting okay, the argument okay. out there. The point yeah. that Adrian put out, which is that like any sort of government spending will inevitably either result in taxes or debt and debt leads to crowding out of private businesses, taxes lead to directly violating economic rights. In, in Even if that is true, I mean, it's just like, I think lower levels of economic growth, but guaranteeing a minimum that I, to be honest, like private charities can't, like that is something that I would support, which is why, you know, like the universal basic income as a replacement of the means-tested welfare system is specifically designed to do that. It's supposed to guarantee a minimum so that everybody, you know, starts out at some point, even if it does hamper economic growth. You know, there's definitely a lot of conflicting studies on that. We discussed that. But like basically it's worth it and that like and that it's necessary to ensure that like we are a community and that everybody should start out at some point. And then from that point on, the government should be as hands-off as possible, which is, you know, like, and like Brandon said, the state and local governments have much more, like, are much more adept at handling issues than the federal government. And, and, and one thing about, like, the idea of, uh, of welfare is that bureaucracy, again, is, it, is a vessel for prejudice and a vessel for corruption. Um, so uh, I, I've seen tons of studies, like, noting that you know, black Americans, they're like Latino Americans have like less access to welfare because of like unequal, dis um, unequal distribution or like unfair policies. And I think that like the idea of just scraping that bureaucracy for something like a UBI makes a lot of sense to me because again, it, it's reducing possibilities for this prejudice to, to um, have the ability to coerce. So I think that like, um, like empowering citizens as much as possible um, while still giving them like a social safety net is, is a really good idea. Yeah, and it's actually something that, like, one thing that I was definitely surprised with, and I just, we discussed this in the UBI episode, but it was basically the idea that, like, the way that the welfare system right now is structured, at least on a federal level, is, like, they try to be federalist, but in a way that's very, very bad, in that, like, the government, the federal government hands out money to the states, and then the states decide how they hand that out, 
but then the states constantly have to apply to the federal government for more money. And the way they do that is by proving they're effective by kicking people off welfare and saying, hey, look, 17% of our population left welfare this week like, or during this like time period. So therefore, give us more money. And that creates like this very, very corrupt system. And I think something state welfare systems actually do solve better. I'm not sure like the exact numbers on that, but I think they're much better. Yeah, you were saying something, Adrian. I was going to say, it's like the, the, the states are the federal government's bitch, basically. <laughs> sure, something to that effect. <laughs> yeah, and also, I mean, I think you see this a lot with, in, like, with, um, with the federal, gov federal, federal government's um, like economic programs in general, like you saw with um, the stimulus package um, 2008, right, or 2008, 2009, um, where like you saw like these, you saw like these profit incentives going out to states for like for these for projects to like immediately break ground and you saw them like going towards like ridiculous, like pointless projects solely because states wanted the money for, from, the, from the stimulus package. So I think, um, yeah, I think like, again, like, leaving more power and leaving more control in the hands of the state, in the hands of the states, mm -hmm. and, or even like, even better, like counties and cities still. Yeah, well, I, I think that we um, have had this discussion and we've created more questions than answers in while, do, while doing so. Um, and I think hopefully we can have Brandon on again in the future to answer more of those yep. questions. All right, uh, thank you guys for having me. Um, this is fun. I have not had a long political conversation in a really long time. So this is, this is really refreshing. But yeah, I hope to be on again soon. Uh, you guys are doing great. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for being on. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.